0: gathered in love and service for justice and peace. This summer, as part of my preparation for UU ministry, I worked as a student chaplain at a hospital. And a few weeks in, I got a call from a social worker. Mrs. Stein, this is not her real name, is on her deathbed. Her children are here, Can you come help the rabbi do a vidui? A vidui is a Jewish ritual done at the time of death, and I'll tell you a little more about that in a little while. But at that moment, all my most feared thoughts about chaplaincy had rolled into a big ball of anxiety. A much loved patient was dying. Her feuding children, who hadn't spoken in 20 years, The daughter, a conservative Catholic, the son, an openly gay man, were in a tiny hospital room together with her. Was time to perform a religious ritual I didn't know much of anything about. I headed upstairs to her room. Mrs. Stein was laying in bed, her white hair spread out on her pillow. I was struck, as always, by the incredible softness of this hair. It had gone past just being white and had taken on this this wonderful texture, like a soft fluff, like a bird that had just pecked its way out of an egg. The rabbi had already arrived and was preparing for the vidui. A deathbed vidui. I don't think a nicer thing exists. When a person is expected to escape from this mortal coil in the next day or so, often observant Jews will call a rabbi to do a vidui. The rabbi opens the ritual with a prayer. The prayer can use modern language, it can be in Hebrew, it can be very formal, or it can be very casual. It depends on the person. But the prayer says, God, This person has sinned. This person has done bad things to other people and to the world, and they are sorry. They're remorseful and they seek forgiveness from those people and from you. A recognition of imperfection and a petition for pardon. Then the rabbi opens the prayer to everyone gathered, all of us, the friends, the family, hospital staff, chaplains, nurses, aides, all of us crowded into a tiny hospital room with the sound of waves crashing from a sound machine, (laughs) blocking out the sounds of normal hospital noise, the chaos still going on outside the door as we were frozen in this final moment. Each person in the room had a chance to say thank you to Mrs. Stein. Each person asked her for forgiveness for any wrong they had ever done to her, specific or general. And each person stated that they forgave her for any wrong, intentional or accidental, that she had ever done to them. Then we all told her individually that we loved her. And then came the hardest part of all, each of us, Everyone in the room said, we love you, we will miss you, but we will be okay to go on if it is your time to go. The conservative Catholic daughter broke down in sobs. The openly gay son slid his arm around her and she collapsed into his chest. Mrs. Stein, her eyes closed to the entire ritual, nodded her head toward them, a small smile on her lips, realizing, without even seeing, that her children had reunited. A final prayer was said, and we all quietly slid out of the room, and Mrs. Stein died a few hours later. One child at each side, each one holding one of her hands. There was so much joy, love given, appreciation expressed, children reunited there was so much sadness the end of a precious life a nod to time wasted in feuding harsh words said sins committed in the midst of sadness there was joy and in the midst of joy there was sadness there is not a time for every purpose under heaven We live the moments of our lives crossing multiple boundaries. Moments of ecstasy are tempered by pain. Moments of pain are survived because of hope. The Israeli poet Yehuda Amakai felt this complexity deeply. A peace activist, he had a lifelong feud with God. Horrified by the violence of the holy land in which he lived, He moved away from religion, but he would not stop arguing with God. In his poem, A Man Doesn't Have Time, he riffs on Ecclesiastes 3.16, which is part of the Hebrew Bible that you've probably heard at weddings and funerals or in old songs. That part of Ecclesiastes says, a season is set for everything A time for every experience under heaven. A time for being born and a time for dying. A time for planting and a time for uprooting the planted. A time for slaying and a time for healing. A time for tearing down and a time for building up. A time for weeping and a time for laughing. But our poet, Amakai, and I disagree. A man doesn't have time for everything. He doesn't have seasons enough for every purpose. Ecclesiastes was wrong about that. Amakai says, a man needs to love and to hate at the same moment, to laugh and to cry with the same eyes and with the same hands, to cast away stones and to gather them, to make love in war and make war in love and to hate, and to forgive, and to remember, and to forget, to set in order and confuse, to eat, and to digest what history takes years and years to do. A man doesn't have time. When he loses, he seeks. When he finds, he forgets. When he forgets, he loves. When he loves, he begins to forget. And his soul is experienced, his soul is very professional. Only his body remains an amateur. It tries and it misses, gets muddled, doesn't learn a thing, drunk and blind in its pleasures and in its pain. He will die as figs die in autumn, shriveled and full of himself and sweet, the leaves growing dry on the ground, The bare branches, already pointing to a place where there is a time for everything. As Amakai reminds us, we don't have a season for every emotion. We find light in our darkest moments and tinges of sadness in our greatest happiness. During her vidui, Mrs. Stein may have felt her greatest pleasure and her greatest sadness, The sadness of knowing she will soon leave all the people that she loves so much, and the joy of hearing all those loving words from those people showering down on her. We don't like to think of life this way. We prefer life to be more black and white, a time for weeping and a time for laughing, a time for wailing and a time for dancing. Life is not this clear cut. Looking through the news headlines this week, I saw our desire for neat categories. Borders drawn, sides chosen. A track star, who we want to know. Male or female? Immigrants and citizens, legals and illegals. Blacks and whites, we can not acknowledge that many of our brothers and sisters aren't entirely brothers or sisters. And that if you go back very far at all, we are all a smorgasbord of swirling ethnicities. Thinking in dichotomies hurts us in a lot of ways. One of the most prevalent, one of the most obvious is around aging. Old, bad. Young, good. We want young skin, no wrinkles, no gray hair. To be old, is to be decrepit, and we dread it. And Alzheimer's. Well, people tell me I would rather be euthanized. I would rather be dead. But what if it isn't this clear cut? What if Alzheimer's is life between the borders? My grandmother died a few years ago after living with Alzheimer's for 13 years. Before the end, she didn't recognize us. She couldn't feed herself, she drooled. And this, to me, felt beyond tragic. My grandmother, the retired nutritionist, who had tea with the governor once a year, who took the train to the World's Fair, who traveled so much for work in the 1950s that my grandpa had to become a house husband, (laughs) and now she didn't know her own name, it was tragedy. It was devastating. I'd rather be dead, people said than live like that but but she was happy (laughs) she was so happy she and I would sit and giggle all afternoon sometimes she thought we were sisters and that we were hiding under the dining room table hiding from mom sometimes she thought I was a new school friend and she'd say I'm going to ask my mother if you can come over and play after school Once, when the whole family was gathered, everyone in her little room, and conversations swirl around her, she turned to me and said loudly, Boy, these people sure think they're interesting. (laughs) 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 Laughing, we realized that this was a tragedy tinged with joy. I got to know my grandmother as a friend. The boundaries of age and generation had been erased. Grandma didn't know she was demented. She happily lived out her last years of life being fed and cared for. She watched the birds outside of her window for hours. She sorted through pictures that she didn't know the faces in. And we, her family, we lived in that odd gray grief of those who have lost someone to Alzheimer's, who misses that person so much, but in her place, we found this loving, childlike presence who in many ways was a brand new blessing. It's strange to grieve someone who is still alive, to love someone who isn't the person that we think they should be. As Amakai says, we must love and hate in the same moment, and we must laugh and cry with the same eyes. And perhaps, realizing that this is how life is, complex in emotion, varied in feeling, will relieve our fear. Perhaps aging doesn't have to be exclusively a breaking down. Everything we fear loses some of its power when we could acknowledge that our worst moments in life will have elements of grace that even in our last moments on this earth, we might feel indescribable joy, and that this graciousness, this graciousness we can extend to not expecting others to fit into our neat categories. As Amakai writes, when we forget, we love. And when we love, we begin to forget. May the love in our hearts allow us to forget the fear that divides us. Blessed be.